You're listening to Leveling Up, and I'm Arielle, your host. Hey guys, welcome back to Leveling Up with Arielle Miller. I am so excited to share this episode with you today. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Lindsay Cooper, and she's here for episode 18, Mental Wellness. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, how are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us today. So Lindsay's going to tell us a little bit about herself and her work, and I don't want to do so much talking, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Lindsay. So Lindsay, can you tell me what is your official title? What do you do? Go. All right. So my name is Lindsay. I'm an associate marriage and family therapist. So what that means is that I am in the process towards licensure. So in order to be a licensed therapist in the state of California, you need to do 3,000 hours of clinical work and then take a giant state exam. So I'm in the process of that. And I work in a group private practice in Westlake Village, California called Engage. And that's where I'm at right now. So 3,000 hours, I know that we briefly touched upon Mm -hmm. this. The 3,000 hours is like an obscene amount of hours. And I know you broke it down for me when we had spoken, but Mm -hmm. I want to just emphasize for the masses and for people, because I think there's a a lack of understanding how much Mm -hmm. schooling, how much dedication and um, time goes into the work that you do as a a therapist. So Mm -hmm. could you break it down a little bit what the 3,000 hours looks like? Perhaps. (laughs) Yeah. So I can only talk about for my licensure, which is licensed marriage and family therapist is what I'm going for. My degree is I've got a master's in clinical psychology. And so the way that it's broken down is into a couple different parts. There's face-to-face hours. So that's what I'm actually sitting in session with somebody and we're doing clinical work. And in that section, it's also broken down into I've got to do a certain amount of individual sessions. I also have to do a certain amount of family or couple sessions. And I have to do a certain amount of child hours. So 18 and under, which for me is nice because I work mostly with teens and up. So I can still count that. And so then, that's like, that kind of, I feel like, ensures that you're well-rounded. Is that yeah. the premise behind that? Yeah. Okay. And then on top of that, we've got a certain amount of hours that we need to do of continuing education and trainings, even in our licensure process, right? Like that's so emphasized. And then we also have every time we see clients in a week, we need to have at least one hour of individual supervision or two hours of group supervision for every 10 client hours. So if I were to meet with 12 clients, in a week, I would need to have either two hours of individual supervision with my clinical supervisor, who's going to kind of guide me if I have any questions. Um, We're going to talk about some of the cases, what's going on, different interventions, or I need to have four hours of group supervision to see my 12 clients. That's a tremendous, tremendous, (laughs) tremendous undertaking. So Approximately, and it, it seems like there isn't really a set timeline because it's your time, your hours. Uh, have you set a goal for yourself in a time frame that you'd like to complete this? Are you being compassionate of the fact that like there's a million things going on, including a pandemic right now? Oh, um, when I first started, my hope was to be finished in this December, but what I didn't take into account was that I'm also Canadian, so I had to go through my immigration process when I got married. So that kind of took a year out of the time that I could work because I wasn't working. Um, So ideally, I'd like to finish by next year and like next March. So giving myself some time and building up a private practice too during a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) No easy task. (laughs) No. Although I kind of feel like, at least from my experience and my personal experience, when I've talked to my other therapist friends or even like my therapist or my husband's therapist, is that mm-hmm. like that there's a great need right now, which is why I'm so glad that our paths have crossed because mm-hmm. we get to talk about how in this this time of unprecedented times, right, an era that we can 
hopefully get people the help that they need right now. But, and the great part is, is if you're, you know, building your client base during this time, like you don't have to leave your house. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, and I know know that's something we're going to talk about later too, which is telehealth versus in-person therapy. So I'm excited to get into that, but I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I mean, we could talk about whatever you want to talk about whenever you want to talk about it, but because I have my thoughts on, I'm such an energy person and it's, it's crazy to like have relationships with people that you've like never met, but you see on a screen every day. It's so like, or, you know, once we, whatever it is in general, like it's just mm-hmm. a, a really fascinating dynamic to have that connection versus an in-person mm-hmm. thing. I've never realized how much I miss people. And I used to be that person who's like, I'd go somewhere and be like, I hate people. I, I hate people. Like everywhere I go. And I'm a total extrovert and love people. And now I'm realizing like, oh my God, I, I really, I'm never going to say that again, that I hate people. Like I can't. So I noticed when I was totally stalking your website, which is beautiful and amazing. And I, I love the language that you present on there. So and I want you to go ahead and plug that because I want people to go ahead and take a peek at it. I saw something on there about your work with animals. Mm-hmm. Could you speak about that? Because I love animals. I lived in the country. I didn't actually have like goats and horses and chickens. Mm-hmm. My neighbors did. And they were literally five feet from my house and I got to see them every day. And I, I love animals. So tell me a little bit about that. You were so thorough because I think there might be like a sentence or two about that <laughs> on my whole website. <laughs> so... I'm trained in something called AGALA, which is equine-assisted growth and learning. And so that's basically animal-assisted therapy. So I can use horses in my therapy sessions. So right now I'm not doing that because I don't have access to a horse. (laughs) If I did, it would be great. Um, Wow. mm -hmm. That's amazing. So do you ride? I do casually. I was, I never like competed. I wasn't like, anything big, but I love being around animals. And that was such a big piece for me of my own healing work is being with animals. So in high school was when I was introduced to animal assisted therapy. And I volunteered with kids with special needs and horses. So we got to do some of that. And then as I kind of moved through and progressed in my career, in my undergraduate degree, I actually started volunteering and did an internship with a program in LA where we did animal assisted therapy, so specifically equine therapy for individuals with special needs and also veterans. Oh my gosh. And like, I get the chills when I share about some of the experiences that I had specifically with the vets and how healing being around animals was. So I took that and I ran with it. I, I did, there's a, there's a couple different levels of it, but I did levels one and level two. And then I also, from there, I got to run some really cool groups with some local treatment centers and nonprofits in the LA area, um, specifically like addiction and relationship stuff. And so I did that just over at um, like Will Rogers, which was super cool. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It's, you hear about animal therapy a lot and I've never seen it really implemented. My rheumatologist actually is very, very into horseback riding and Mm -hmm. a huge advocate of animal therapy. I could imagine it's probably difficult to find facilities that allow that to happen just because, I mean, horses are so expensive to take care of and to board. So, and I could just imagine that there's probably a lot of logistics that if it's not a center, it's probably hard to like lone wolf it and be like, this is something I want to do. I think I I know of one therapist that in her private practice does equine therapy. And I think she, she owns a horse. So it makes it a little bit easier. Just a little bit by having a horse. Yeah. I mean, maybe one day, but I don't have one yet. I love how many dogs? Two. Oh, I thought you said three. I was gonna be like, oh my god. <laughs> We've been I, 
I've been pressing pause on that because my <laughs> partner wants to get another dog. And I said, dogs are children. Like <laughs> They are. We have one cat and she, this morning, I don't know if dogs do this because I've, I've never really had dogs for long periods of time. Like I fostered them, but when a cat throws mm-hmm. up, they do their whole like heaving thing. So it's like this very dramatic announcement that they're going to be throwing up. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I, like I can hear that in my sleep and we both bolt out of bed and we're like, where's the cat? Where's the cat? Because I kid you not, there have been times where she's thrown up in the bed while we were sleeping and didn't hear her and you wake up and you're like, oh, awesome. I was in cat vomit. That's fantastic. And we have carpet in the bedroom. So mm-hmm. we don't want her to throw up on the carpet. Like, I don't care. Throw up on the floor. I'll clean it up. But throwing up on the carpet just makes it a nightmare. So this morning, my husband hops out of bed. He gets her too late in time. So she throws up a, like a trail outside the bedroom. So mm-hmm. I'm like, fantastic. So I'm cleaning it up. We go back to bed. Then we get up and I'm today, I was like, I'm going to clean her litter box. So I'm going to dump it. I'm going to wash it in the shower. I'm going to make it nice and clean. So I'm cleaning it. He went out to go get coffee and it's drying. So I was like, okay, I'm going to vacuum in the meantime. So I'm vacuuming and I was like, I'm going to open up the door. And I walk over to the door and I'm like, something smells. And I look down and there's a steeping hot cat poop right on the floor. And I'm like, is this is this for real? Are you kidding me? You vomit and you shit on my floor today? So I clean it up, throw it out, text my husband a picture of the poop because I'm like, you're not here to see this, but now you're going to see this. Mm-hmm. So then I continue vacuuming I move the shoes out of the way. And I notice that there's like a wet spot where the oh shoe was. And I'm like, that's weird. It must be from the Lysol from us spraying our shoes every time we come in, in the house. And then I'm like, but that doesn't smell like Lysol. She peed on my flip-flop. So not only did she vomit in the bedroom today, she pooped in our living room and then peed in our dining room. All in a day's work. Of course. <laughs> of course. I was like, I, I, you could, I couldn't even be mad at that point because it's just unbelievable. So Remarkable. That's amazing. I I saw that tidbit. I'm so glad that I snuffed that out on your site though, because Mm -hmm. it was really beautiful to hear. So I'm kind of curious if you don't mind sharing a little bit about like your story about what inspired you to become a therapist. And if maybe there were any maybe notable or significant people that guided you in this direction, Mm -hmm. I just would love to hear about why you do the work that you do, how you got here. There's so much to say. So for me, I think I always knew that I was going to be a therapist, not necessarily like how some kids grow up and they're like, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. Like when I grew up, I wanted to be like a dog. Um, I ended up being a therapist because that was what I knew. You know, when I was younger, I struggled a lot. And so I think I started, I think I got into therapy when I was like 12 Mm-hmm. You know, like seeing my own therapist and I had, I was a kid in a lot, a lot, a lot of pain. Every check mark you can check, I struggled with. That was literally all I knew for the longest time. And so I had my experiences and I had to walk through some pretty like, for me, intense and scary and gnarly sh- shit. Mm-hmm. And through that, because of the time that it was, mental health care and treatment was very different than it is today. So it was still getting over what's called behavioral modification. Could you elaborate like behavior modification? Yeah. I have a minor in ed psychs, but like most people don't. (laughs) I mean, this could get into a whole other podcast. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to try to be brief. So behavioral modification in treatment centers for adolescents is very different than, um, you know, when we think of behavioral mod and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you praise when you do something that I want you to do and I'm going to ignore or give a consequence if you're doing something that isn't appropriate. Um, So I was going through my challenges right on the cusp of when behavioral mod was fading out in treatment, which looked like when you think of a boot camp, right? It was, you're going to run until we tell you to stop running. There was a lot of, um, we're going to scare you into changing. There was just some crazy, crazy shit that they used to do. But basically it was like, 
the treatment model for adolescents used to be taken from the same treatment model specifically for adults. A kid is so delicate and so sensitive that when they're struggling and they're really little, they're already in so much pain, you do not need to break them down anymore because there's nowhere deeper that you can go. Mm -hmm. And so the motto is we're going to break you down to build you up. Ugh, I hate that philosophy. I can't. Yeah. And I when can't. you're so young and your behavioral patterns are like, that's, that's what you knew because that's how you learned how to cope because that's survival. Uh, that isn't really all that effective. And so I was on the end tail of that. And the way it relates to kind of how I got into this work was that I had some really, really incredible experience, experiences with therapists and healing professionals that I totally felt like they cared about me and they got me. And I also had some really, really atrocious experiences, you know, with um, breaches in confidentiality and a lack of any sort of confidentiality. There's like a whole thing I can get into on that. But there were a couple therapists and healers that really changed my life. And having that discovering that journey from being a kid in so much pain and having to look at some stuff that was really scary. And when I say stuff that was really scary, it's like my emotions terrified me, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I had to find all of these ways to cope. And then when you take those coping skills away and you're like, here you go, here's the entire world. That's always been way too overwhelming for you. And we're going to tell you to now deal with it without anything and having to learn completely new ways of coping and feeling and having that support. I wanted to be able to give those feelings to other people. I wanted them. I wanted those people that were in a lot of pain and that were really hurting and didn't think and didn't believe or don't believe that they can get to the other side. I know because of my own experience that I can hold the space that you can get to the other side. That's so beautiful. I I love that. Thank Thank you. you. That's It's such an amazing thing to hear people doing the work that you do to come from a place of that kind of empathy. And like, I get it. I get it. I've, I've been where you've been. I've walked in the darkness and I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy, but you can emerge on the other side. And I think that's really, really important. I think so often I've spent my life, I think my first interaction with a therapist was when I was eight years old and it's funny is when I talk to therapists and, you know, over the years and like, God, you were in therapy at eight. And I'm like, yeah, I was afraid of the dark, like irrationally afraid of the Mm -hmm. dark kind of thing. So my mom put me in therapy, but I have gone in and out of therapy. I'm 30. I'll be 38. Oh my God. I'll be 38 in June. And I feel like I've never really felt that like anyone sitting across from me with the exception of like here and there, maybe that like someone really truly understood who I was or cared to understand me. So I think that I can hear it in your voice and I can see you, the listeners can't see you, but (laughs) I can see it and I can feel it from you that it's just, it's really, really, really beautiful. I think what makes people great at what they do is the experiences that they've had. I think that darkness can be wielded as an incredible tool Mm -hmm. of spreading light in this world. I became an educator because I was a kid in a classroom who was invisible and I was screaming for help Mm -hmm. and nobody saw me. I became the teacher that I always wished I had never had. And I said, I'm going to be different and I'm going to see every single one of those bodies that walk through my door and I'm going to change them whether they want to or not because they're 12 and they don't want to (laughs) change. So I love that. Oh, so beautiful. Tell me a little bit about the, I know we talked about the animals and, and that's not mm-hmm. something that you're currently like working in and specializing right. unless somebody decides they're going to buy you a horse, which I would totally and utterly I mean, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I do have listeners that have horses, by the way, and I have lots of friends that have horses, but um, I've been talking to one of my friends. Um, she's a therapist and her mom's a therapist and they've got two horses. So we talk about it. So maybe one day. Do you have the ability to board on your property or you would have to? Not where I live, but my friend and her mom, 
they have horses on their property and they're both therapists. So we might need to have a discussion. I'm very excited for you. you. (laughs) So um, what type of patients do you typically work with? And I mean, is there a specific area that you specialize in or even like something that just really, really speaks to you that I don't want to say that it's a preference because I don't want people mm-hmm. to feel like if they were interested in working with you, that it's like, oh, Lindsay doesn't like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, something that like, what lights your heart on fire and, you know, what would you consider something that you're, you specialize in? That's a great question. And it's, sometimes it's challenging. I've really been working towards like narrowing in because there's so many different things that I like to work with because people are so complex and it's like this one thing doesn't define who you are, this one challenge or thing that you're struggling with. So how I've kind of come to sum it up and what gets me really excited is working with identity. So sometimes that means, you know, you're a teenager going into college or, you know, I've ended up working with a lot of women who have children who are kind of going into that next phase of their life. Maybe the kids are leaving the house and they're trying to rediscover who they are. Um, Also those like 20 to 30 year old, predominantly women who are trying to figure out who am I? What's important to me? What are my values? How do I function in relationships? And then within all of that, I also do a lot with, you know, LGBTQ individuals because that's part of my community. And it's a big piece of our identity and how we understand ourselves and how we move through the world. And with all of that, kind of like the third piece, which plays into everything is the trauma work that I do. Amazing. You're incredibly well-rounded, but thank you. <laughs> I love how you, you draw upon your life. I, I just as a wondering kind of throw mm-hmm. it out there is like, it makes me wonder about other people in the mental health industry and the people that they service, like, I just wonder if they come from that same place, you know, and it's just not, I mean, I I don't think that we have an answer, but it's just more Mm -hmm. so of, it just makes me wonder, you know, where everyone comes from. I always am really curious. I mean, I can talk on that if you want. Yeah. Oh no, I'd love you to. I think a big piece of it is, well, initially people that work in mental health, we care. We all have our stories as well, whether it's our personal experiences, the experience of a the experiences of like a love, everybody has that. Everybody in the entire world has either struggled or has cared about somebody that's struggling. There just so happens to be some people that are drawn to helping, right? And the other piece of like, who is it that you work with? For me, it's also in the different environments that I'm working. So as a therapist in private practice, the clients that I'm seeing are not going to be as acute as when I'm working in like a team setting, or if I was working in, you know, an intensive outpatient program or a residential program or a hospital, just because of safety is a big piece and what's best for each person. You know, if you're working with suicidality and there's, we're talking really imminent, that's not appropriate for outpatient, right? We might need to get another evaluation. It's different if you are thinking Mm-hmm. about suicide and fantasizing about it because you're in so much freaking pain that you just want this to stop that I can work with, but it's the imminency of the danger. That is like, what's the appropriate setting. And I used to work at a comprehensive DBT program. So the clients that I saw there were significantly more acute than what I work with generally in private practice. Interesting. Thank you. That was very helpful. So I appreciate it. So I love your mental wellness, which is mm-hmm. the, the title of our episode here that yeah. you have in your, your website, as we transition into discussing mental health in, I guess, in terms of a pandemic, mm-hmm. would you speak a little bit about what, what is this mental wellness? For a long time, we've always had this stigma around mental illness, Right illness is a disease. It's something that happens to you. And there can be a lot of powerlessness within that, right? There's things that we can do. There's steps that we can take, but there's still a lot of stigma around mental illness. We've transitioned into talking more and more about mental health and raising awareness around mental health. And for me, the wellness is more of a verb, right? So it's, I'm taking action and I can do something. 
and the things that I'm doing are I'm putting one foot in front of the other, right? By looking for a therapist, by talking to somebody, by seeking help, by, you know, sharing your experiences, like you're taking those steps towards wellness and wellness is a journey and it's not, you, you can reach this place of your well. It's a constant evolution and we're always evolving and growing. So I like looking at, you know, our mental health as a journey towards mental wellness because it's going to constantly change. I love that. I love that, that concept of that growth healing and that connection. And I, I also, I was, when I was looking on your site, I like how you had mentioned about like discovering wholeness and overcoming Mm -hmm. limiting beliefs. And I think that, I think especially in lieu of what we are experiencing. And I know you listened to my last episode Mm -hmm. and in my last episode, I talked about pandemic productivity and I had said that I loved it so much. Thank you. (laughs) I felt so bad because two weeks, well, three weeks prior to that, I had come out with this episode when Los Angeles Unified had closed schools. And I was like, guys, we have an opportunity to be productive here. And there was a lot of nuggets that I think still do stay, stand true, like create a schedule, try to stick to your, your normal sleep schedule mm-hmm. the best that you can, and trying to keep a semblance of normalcy among the abnormalcy of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's more important than ever that there have been these things that are just coming up, like for myself, I've been having these obscene dreams for the the last couple of weeks and I mm-hmm. started writing them down and I started reading about the psychology behind all of this during the pandemic that this is not abnormal. I mean our whole entire lives have been completely overturned. So what I would love for you to discuss is why now? Why is it important that for whatever reason, people seek help from a therapist. God, there's so much in that. <laughs> I, almost don't, I almost don't know where to start. Well, just start and let it go. I'm sure we'll all weave a beautiful narrative. I think it's not even just a now that you're seeking help from a therapist. I think it's in, in this time of uncertainty, in this unprecedented time, how are you connecting? Mm-hmm. right? Therapy is one piece of the puzzle. And yes, it can be very helpful. It's also depending on like, do you have social support? Even in social distancing, you know, are you connecting to other people? There's things that are coming up for everybody. You talked about your dreams. I just wrote a blog about like the anxiety I was feeling and it was coming up where I would wake up at random hours of the night. And I feel like almost everybody I've spoken to has talked about issues with sleep or really vivid dream. Our bodies and minds are trying to navigate something that is so, I mean, there's no other word other than unprecedented, right? And with that, each of us has our own unique situations that are coming up. There are some people, and I do want to acknowledge this, there are some people who have the privilege of taking this time as like an opportunity for growth. Right? There's, a, there's a privilege to that. And what does that look like and how are you utilizing it? And like, okay, that's great. Those people as well, it's also all of our own stuff is coming up. All of our histories, the things that we've been through, you know, our core beliefs, how we view and interpret the world, whether you're privileged to be able to pay your rent and have food on the table, or you're struggling with, holy crap, am I going to be homeless, right? There's like these this spectrum and underlying all of it is there's a lot of stuff coming up for all of us out of fear because it's unknown. And one of there have been times in my life before where I felt this type of fear, I felt this type of uncertainty. Those things I think are coming up now more than ever because we're faced with it across the board. Absolutely. I think that, so part of being able to find someone would be to unpack these things that we're experiencing because I mean, I wish that there was another word for like unprecedented that would capture the thought other than unprecedented, but I don't think that there is. 
I mean, it's insane, right? It's unprecedented. It's unprecedented. It's insane. It's, it feels like it's fiction. Like it's unbelievable because not as a sidebar, but there are such, there's such a large population of people that don't actually believe that coronavirus is a real thing. And I'm, I'm sitting here scratching my head being like, one, we're a capitalistic nation. And two, the entire world is at a standstill. The entire world. This isn't just like Los Angeles is on mm-hmm. lockdown. Like the whole world. I mean, we are collectively experiencing trauma. We are collectively yeah. grieving. I love what you mentioned about connecting because even though we are more connected than ever prior to the pandemic with social media and live streaming and this massive exposure to this constant onslaught of people, 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 people. Studies show that people feel more isolated than ever Mm -hmm. and more lonely than ever and feel more disconnected than ever. I I can't fathom those emotions now being physically isolated and kind of a personal anecdote, what I will say is I, my husband and I both work in fitness. Fitness mm-hmm. is his full-time job. He's a health and wellness coach and also teaches group fitness and does personal training. And fitness is my side hustle that I do mm-hmm. because it lights my heart on fire kind of thing. I had to start hiding people on my Instagram feed and, and on Facebook because I was feeling all sorts of I have subconscious things about the the live videos, the live classes, Mm -hmm. the nutrition, the shaming of the quarantine 15 and like, you know. I just heard that today. Like, I wanted to scream because that that all goes back to, and I listened listened to like an IGTV live or I don't know how it all works. I listened (laughs) to one yesterday. There's no such thing as a perfect quarantine. And for those that are like creating this story that like, there is, and you can quarantine perfect enough. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like we are experiencing a global pandemic. We have no idea what's going to happen next. The information is changing daily. You are not expected to take this time and like do all of this self-development. It's great if you can. And if there's moments in it, you talked about this last week. You don't need to come out with like a new skill. Like we are literally trying to figure out how to survive something that's like unbelievable and that there are all of these different experiences on top of like the uniqueness of our individual stories. If you want to look at socioeconomic status and how that impacts it and culture and, mm-hmm. you know, safety at home, you know, oh. I'm lucky enough where like, my home is safe. There are hundreds of thousands of people. And as a teacher, I know you know this too. Like there are kids going hungry. Oh yeah. There are women and children and men stuck in abusive households and they can't leave. It's a, it's a very, very scary time. You know, it's like, so the luxury I have is I open up a fridge and there's food in there. And if I don't like what's in there, I can open up Uber Eats and I can order what I want to my house mm-hmm. in my two bedroom apartment that overlooks the Hollywood Hills. Like mm-hmm. this is my struggle. And if I should gain some weight, okay, who cares? Does it make me any lesser of a human being because I have a soft tummy and a round face? There are Los Angeles Unified is doing free food distribution. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. Anyone can drive through and come get food. I know that houses of places of worship are doing that. And the thing that for me is so heart-wrenching is to know that more and more people, as this thing goes on, less and less people are able to Mm -hmm. sustain their households because of how many people have lost their jobs. And it makes me wonder, like, how is this going to rewrite the, the, the narrative of education, like mm-hmm. how we educate people, how is that going to change, or, or in majors, or we're learning how people can now, how many jobs can, can actually function from home that they didn't yeah. need a brick and mortar and things like that. Like, I just, there's so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very scary time. Like, some of these things that, you know, like for myself, 
I experience and I struggle with depression and anxiety. And I, I'll be sitting there on the couch, even just last night. And I just said to my husband, I'm like, I'm extremely anxious. And he's like, what's mm -hmm. going on? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm anxious and mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. I don't know why yeah. I'm exhausted. I slept till 11. Why am I exhausted? It's one o'clock. But these are- We're living in a time of high stress, right? And, and no matter what your circumstances look like, right? The feelings you're experiencing are the feelings you're experiencing. And somebody's always gonna have it worse. Somebody's always gonna have it better. Somebody's always gonna have more. Somebody's always gonna have less. The feeling is the same across the board. And so how do we cope with the feelings that we're experiencing in a way that generally is going to be most effective for us in the long term? And that's also okay if, you know, yesterday I spent like two hours, three hours, potentially more, like scrolling through TikTok. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's okay. Exactly. That's okay. I mean, I just kind of got on TikTok because I felt pressure to get on TikTok. I don't get it, but I do go on there and I do find it really funny, but I, I don't understand it. And I'm like, maybe it's because I'm old and I don't get it. My sister told me I was too old for TikTok, by the way. I particularly watch them hashtag millennials <laughs> once for all of like the TikTokers that are over 27. And basically like dissing all of the little ones of like a millennial started social media. Like we started with MySpace and like ranking your friends, not healthy. We can do something else on that later. But like <laughs> we came from this, like, do not tell us, like we can't use this. And how funny it is that we were making fun of it for so long. And now that we're in quarantine, I'm seeing these like, six-year-old women like rocking it on TikTok and I'm obsessed. Well, or even these like elaborate like links that these people go to to create these TikTok videos. Like, and then I'm watching them like, how did they do that? And then I find myself like Googling it and I'm like, this is the rabbit hole I'm going down. But yeah, I, I haven't gotten there yet. I do like the family ones, especially when it's like the dads that are dancing. So, so cute. cute. I saw the one today with like the, the broom, like the like Harry Potter one. Yeah. Like I saw that and I'm saying, I'm like, oh my God, like somebody's not holding her up because it's not even moving and she's not even straight. I'm like trying to figure this out. And then like, I like swiped up and then I saw another one where a guy just like rips the blanket off and I was like, oh, she was just holding the broom out in front. Okay. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> but I get it. So I think that as we talk about coping, right? Mm -hmm. All of these, these feelings that people are experiencing are normal because yeah. I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of shame that people experience when they have feelings that because society stigmatizes anxiety, depression, uh, shame, rage, all of these things, because there's something morally defunct with you and which we know that's not the case. Right. And that, all of our feelings, all of our emotions, there's a biological purpose to them, right? Like let's break it down to like super, super simple. Like, yes, we're complex, we're unique, you know, for our own individuals, this is so beautiful. And on another level, we're not actually that complex because everything's been an adaptation, mm -hmm. right? So every emotion is telling me something. Anxiety is saying, I don't know what's going on. I got to start preparing. I have to start looking for my exit plan. Fear is, holy shit, I got to do something now. And that's either run, that's hide, that's fawn. So let me just like please you and then it'll be okay, right? It's freeze. Like all of that makes sense. Love is also like that feeling of joy is also telling us something, right? Like it's what information are we getting from this? And it's always served a purpose. So no matter what you're feeling, every feeling is valid in what you're experiencing right now, even when you're experiencing like what feels like opposites, right? Like I can be anxious and like, I'm also like, I'm okay. Like I'm good. I, I live in a beautiful place. I'm also in LA and like, it's been sunny out. And like, I actually had a really relaxing day and there's still anxiety 
and there's that uncertainty and there's, you know, some fear too. So when do you feel, do you feel like there's a point that people should arrive at and be like, I'm at this point, I need therapy. I mean, how do we kind of encourage people to seek the help that they may be questioning or don't know that they need? (laughs) (laughs) I like the don't know that they need. Um, (laughs) I feel feel like that's a great, great deal of people, but I don't mean that in a bad way. (laughs) No, 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 not at all. There's also still the stigma around getting help and what does help look like? Something with some of my clients that I've worked with, and, and I will get back to talking about like, how do you know you need help? Even when you're seeking help, how do you know that it's the right level of help? Or that there's all of these different, there's like a whole continuum, like a whole range of what therapeutic care can look like. You know, and I've had clients that are really struggling and I bring up like, maybe we should talk about doing something a little bit more. And the fear is, oh my God, you're going to hospitalize me because I'm crazy. And it's like, like, no, no, like maybe we need to do some coaching in between our sessions. Like maybe we need to do, we got to get you into like an outpatient program because you need a little bit more, right? Like there's so much. And sometimes we don't know. Not only do we not know what it is that we need, we don't know what exists. And I, I think that's something that I, know, I think I need to talk, start talking about more is like there's individual therapy and then there's like all of this other stuff that a lot of people don't know. You kind of just think of like being you know, locked up in the psych ward or you think of individual therapy and not that there's a hundred things in between. Well, the thing is, is that's what the media portrays. Like that's what you see in movies and, and a lot of the, our perception of things is determined by other people's perception of something. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So there's like, well, there's a whole conversation there. If you're thinking about suicide and you're thinking about hurting yourself, that's a warning sign. If you're thinking about hurting other people, if you are having like impairments in certain, and like in any area of your life right? My relationships, I'm, you know, I'm getting in these toxic relationships or I'm dating the same person over and over and it's not working for me and I'm unhappy, right? If you're feeling high levels of distress or anxiety, if there's, you know, these fears that are taking over areas of your life, and I'm not just talking about something that's irrational, like, you know, quote unquote irrational, but how much time are you spending thinking about the coronavirus and how is that impacting you? Right? What does it look like and how is it showing up in your life? If you're experiencing a significant increase in anger or guilt or shame, or you're feeling totally shut off and numb and disconnected, right? if you're feeling like maybe I'm worthless or I'm not good enough and that stuff's really starting to impact your life, or you're just tired of feeling that way, you don't have to live in that place. And there is help. And help can look like a lot of different things. So what are some of the things that you offer? And what are some of the ways that someone listening to this could reach out and get help? So I do individual therapy for the most part. And I'm doing everything over telehealth. So I can work with anybody in the state of California, which is really cool. Because I think it also, like the, the benefit or the, the silver lining in seeking mental health help in the time of Corona is this huge transition to telehealth where you can find that therapist that works with you, right? That is like that, that right fit there. It meshes. Um, If you're looking for something very, very specific, you can find an expert in your state. So I do individual. I also do some family therapy And I recently started doing a little bit of parent coaching when that needs to come in for the moms generally who their kids are home from school and they're trying to balance it. And how do I set boundaries? I saw this great thing online today that a friend of mine had posted uh, who's a parent and Mm -hmm. it was like a little chart that was on the door of the office. And a lot of my colleagues are teachers and moms or dads and they're Mm -hmm expected to impart content, a content, and they're expected to 
be available for distance learning, but then they also have to be there for their significant others. And then they also have to be there to help their kids with distance learning. Or if they're real little, they've got toddlers mm -hmm. in the house. I mean, things are madness right now. And I saw this sign and it was a sign that hung on the office and it was color coded with, it was like, I am working knock you may disturb me i am working do not disturb me mm -hmm. like, like this like tiered approach like as it moved down the list and yeah, to red. i saw that i was like and it was kind of funny and cavalier but i think like little things like that 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 help kind of empower the people in the house like the little kid comes to the door and they go to reach for the doorknob and they read the sign they're like oh mommy's on a call right now mm -hmm. i can go do a puzzle until she's off the call like things like that yeah. that i think that Parents have the tools and the capacity mm -hmm. to, to put two and two together. But I think sometimes like someone like you ignites that path for them and is points out like ways they could alleviate some of the, I don't even want to say, cause just to better maximize what they're doing at home. There's a lot on everyone's plate. Oh my God. Like, it's remarkable. That's, that's the thing right now is like the, the volume and the intensity of life has like turned up a thousand percent for everybody. And the dialectic in that is, you know, finding on one hand, it's like there is time for therapy, but then for other people there isn't. And then also how do you find affordable therapy is a big one when there's some job uncertainty, job loss, you don't know what things are, you, know, you don't know what's happening, you're not sure where that next paycheck's coming from. So I know you had mentioned some stuff that's available in that kind of situation. So could you speak about that? Because I think that's that's a, a really important point. And I know that in the past for me, even as somebody who does have health insurance, mm -hmm. the price of seeing someone has, has been a deterrent and a factor. It's hard and I, and I empathize because therapy is really expensive and I understand why it is. I don't take insurance and there's a lot of reasons why I don't. And that can be very frustrating to somebody when they're looking, right? Because you're like, I pay for my insurance. I pay an astronomical amount for my insurance. I'm like, <laughs> my own therapist isn't covered by it. Like, and the reason for that is when you're utilizing insurance, the insurance company runs the show. So they're going to tell you how many sessions you can have. They're going to ask for the notes, maybe not all of the notes, but they're going to have some more information on what's going on for you. I don't want somebody who's not there telling me how to help the person in front of me and that they're, they're fixed when there's a lot of stuff going on or maybe just because you're not in a, a crisis and a danger to yourself right now. That's when we need to really keep doing the work. So that's my little thing on insurance. I think that's really important to share. And also like we had talked about in the beginning, like, you know, you have a tremendous amount of schooling, continuing education, training hours, you've done a tremendous mm -hmm. amount of work. And I think that having the ability to, to set those standards for yourself and have uphold those standards, I think that speaks volumes about the kind of practice that, you know, you're cultivating. And I think it's important, but I, I think that perspective is important. And I think it's interesting to know that the insurance company is privy to certain pieces of information regarding your... Right. Like in order to bill insurance, I need to give you a diagnosis. Well, it's really difficult, and I'm going to go with it's impossible to diagnose somebody in one session, but in order for insurance to cover, I need to give you a diagnosis. That's so bogus to me. Because I need to be able to say to the insurance, just like if you go to the doctor and you've got you know, a sinus infection, your GP or the urgent care is going to write on your record, you know, treated for sinus infection, and it justifies why yeah. insurance is paying. Well, there's absolutely no way to know in one session what's really going on because you're like you being you, the general human, is way too complex. And the oversimplification of here's your diagnosis, it's like there's the pro and the con. There's great, we can get that covered by insurance, and it's also going to change. Well, I see, I never knew that. That's, that also is kind of damning. <laughs> like, ugh. 
But wow. So let me ask you a question before we get into um, how people can contact you and see you, unless you have something else. I had a question for you. You want to ask? Yeah, I, I feel like I went in a circle and I didn't get to touch on what some of the resources are for how you can access therapy and affordable therapy. Oh my God, please do share, share away. So my like top recommendation when you're just starting to look for a therapist is ask a friend because Google is so overwhelming. And if you can go within your network, we usually associate with people who are like us and they might have some ideas or they might've heard. I think that's just the easiest way because it can get really overwhelming and that's a place to start. Love that. So like, don't go and see your best friend's therapist, but you could like, just not a good idea. I've totally done that by the way. You could call them and say, (laughs) Hey, my friend sees you. My friend is seeing somebody who they connect with, I connect with my friend. Well, that therapist is probably going to know somebody else who's similar and maybe has a similar style. So I'd say like the odds are, the odds are in your favor that way. And it's not going on Google and being like 10 million names. Bombarded by just a name. Right. And a profile. Great suggestion. Uh, There's all of like the online search engines for it. So like psychology today is the, like the number one you can go on, put in your zip code, and it'll come up with, I don't know, hundreds of therapists if you're in LA, thousands. There's also ther- Therapy Den, which I really like. And it's this really small like database for therapists where you can find a therapist that's very focused on um, social justice. So if that's something for you, maybe you're whether you're in a polyamorous relationship or you're part of like the kink community or the queer community, you're somebody who has a history of immigration and you need somebody that understands that. It's very, very clear on Therapy Den who it is that you're working with and like they'll have those specific boxes checked. Cool. I love that. I think it's so cool. I love that. I think that that's an incredible resource. I think that all too often that the people who are marginalized by society Mm -hmm. continue to get marginalized through the workplace and through health and mental health and all those things. And yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are in marginalized communities that have really horrific experiences with therapy because they're seeing somebody who does not understand where they're coming from or has their own personal bias. And right. I mean, yeah. I can, I can talk about horror stories, but we're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> um, then the other thing is there's something called Open Path Collective. And it is, I actually just discovered it and I think it's the coolest thing. It's a nonprofit and it's a national database of therapists. And every therapist that goes on it commits to seeing at least one client from Open Path Collective. So it's telehealth right now, obviously some people do in person as well. And for individual therapy, it's between I think 30 to $60. So we all commit to seeing people within that price range on that sliding scale. And then for families and couples, I think it's between 60 to $80. That's and like awesome. it caps it there. So that's a really great resource. I'm glad you shared that. So thank you. Yeah. Of that's- course. And like most of my friends who might charge, you know, $250 for a session are also on there for, you know, $30. So it doesn't determine like whether you're getting like a good therapist or not. I'd also encourage you to, when you're like looking online or you're talking to people, if you're seeking lower cost therapy, look for an associate or ask a therapist if they have any associates that are training with them. Because just like what we talked about, they're going to have 1,500 hours, 2,000 hours, getting up to 3,000 hours. And just as an associate, we're in that process of building our practices. So you get that benefit. And a lot of us are more willing to slide. I wish that somebody had shared these like therapy hacks with me. <laughs> like aside from asking a friend, which I've done, and then I've I've missed, I've seen multiple therapists that were friends therapists over mm-hmm. my life because whatever, but these are yeah. such helpful ways to go at multiple different ways to go ahead and seek <laughs> help. Like I love it. And they're so, I mean, it's just, it's like very accessible. And I think that's like the important thing to mention to people out there is that 
Yeah. I think it seems daunting. Mm -hmm. And that was really going to be my, my question to you is like, what would you say to someone who doesn't know where to start because it is still overwhelming or this, you might not even be able to answer this question because it's a big question, but, or someone who thinks that they're just so beyond the ability to be helped by therapy. I know. I'm sorry. That one breaks my heart because it's so many people that I've worked with and that I work with. I guess another, another type of client that I work with a lot is somebody who's been to a lot of different treatment centers and who's been in therapy for a really long time. And part of that like identity is that I'm broken. I am so fucked up that nobody can help me, right? I've done this so many times and nothing's helped. That's my client because I get it. Like I get that feeling and I will hold space for you. And a therapist will hold the hope for you until you can hold it for, until you can hold it for yourself. We're going to have that faith because our experience personally and professionally has shown that even in those times where it feels so, so dark, and it feels like nothing can change. I have seen it happen over and over and over again. I love that. I love that sense of hope and that optimism. I think that's a, a really important message for people to hear because I think given the, the circumstances right now, and I think that there's this hopelessness, a helplessness even that we feel. Mm-hmm. And if we're trying to fight stigma, uh, stigmatize society, if we're trying to fight family mm-hmm. ideals, if we're trying to fight, 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 fight all the time against these things and we're swimming upstream and it's like, I really need help. It's just, mm-hmm. but nothing and no one can help me, you know, sometimes tramps or tamps down yeah. all the other things. So I love that. I, I yeah. that you'll hold space and hope until they're able to do that. I think that's so beautiful. I mean, it's, it's so important. And, um, you know, the other thing with, with seeing a therapist versus talking to a friend is, you know, a friend, a family member, somebody else. My only, my only job is to be here to support you, right? Like as a therapist, it's like, how can I empower you to help figure it out? And I can hold space and help you feel your feelings. And I'm also not going to tell you everything's going to be okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Being how you want it to turn out. I can tell you that this feeling is going to pass and the intensity will decrease and things will change. But I don't know what it's going to look like. Or when. Or when. Yeah. Yeah. I love that dose of realism. I was on the phone with my aunt before we were talking about something. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this like constant reaction to people that like when, pe- when things aren't going well for people or they're upset, we try to shower them with like, oh, but you have this and you have mm-hmm. that. And I love the default for women is like, oh, but you're beautiful. I'm like, that has nothing to do with, and my aunt wasn't saying this, but we were talking about something. Right. Like, that has nothing to do with what I was just talking about. What is What does the face and the body have to do with anything that I've got going on inside? Right. It blows my mind that mm-hmm. I think there's this like, we try to sugarcoat things. And I think sometimes just acknowledging like, it's really shitty right now. Mm-hmm. I know it's really shitty. But it's not always going to be shitty. Yeah. But I love that. I think that it's powerful. It's really powerful. So is there anything else that you wanted to add regarding how other resources for people to go ahead and seek help? Uh, the, you can go through your insurance. We can talk about pros and cons. Uh, go through, if you can, like try, you can try going through your insurance. My only hesitancy is that sometimes it's hard to get a spot, right? So I'm kind of talking about like some other alternatives to maybe going through your insurance initially. Uh, I'm not saying that that's a bad idea. Plenty of amazing therapists that work with insurance. Um, The only other thing I guess I wanted to say was that, you know, it's so incredible that we have telehealth now. And that, like, I'll be honest, I thought telehealth was like, well, that's like the next best thing. That's like a good alternative. But I've been doing a ton of research, reading studies. I did like, I don't know, a 20-hour intensive around using and doing teletherapy. All of the research says it can be just as effective, and it is just as effective as in-person therapy. Awesome. That's great. 
it's a great option. Now it's kind of our only option. Right. And just to kind of let people know that are listening for the telehealth, because I think people get concerned with security. Can you speak a little bit about if somebody yes. was going to work with you, what the security aspect of that looks like? So all of my, all of the forms that I send out are through like a secure encrypted specific for healthcare professionals. Like, so everything is in terms of like information that's going back and forth, everything is encrypted. In terms of communication, I can make sure on my end that there's nobody that can hear you, that can see you, that everything, just like how in person would be confidential. I also have to make sure and ask that on your end, that you're in a space where, you know, you being the client are in a space where your side of the conversation is going to be protected because I can't do anything about that. Currently, there's been some lifting of some of the regulations around telehealth in terms of like using FaceTime or other things. So for telehealth, we use a secure encrypted video platform. And so for me, I use doxy.me or there's a way that I have, there's an encrypted version of Zoom that's through a healthcare portal that I'll send you that's made specifically for healthcare professionals that's done with all of the computer science things that make it compliant that make sure that it's like encrypted and safe and that wow, I didn't know that existed. Yeah, it's like a special add-on. Secret society that I'm not a part of. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a it's a secret Zoom on top of the Zoom. I like it. <laughs> um and then all of our documents, you know, that I, that I need signed are all encrypted. They're stored on an encrypted database, like my own database. That's like, I think everything's like double password protected. So there's a lot of stuff on our end as clinicians we have to do in order to be compliant with our own code of ethics and the law so awesome. that you are safe. I love that's That's so helpful because I know that Security is very, very important. And I know that at least also from my, my own personal experience that when my husband and I, what we do in our house is when each one of us meet with their therapist, the other leaves, like actually leaves, even though like I'm in my office right now yeah, to protect the space because mm-hmm. like if he could hear me, like it's an apartment, yeah. you know? So I think that knowing that the things I share with you as a client would be safe. I think that's really helpful information. I love that there's all these measures and I would imagine that the pandemic has probably really amped up things for mental health professionals. Yeah. There's a lot of like education courses and a lot of mandated courses that we need to take. And even like all of our, our databases and stuff are, are sending us information on how they're making sure to up their game. So now you have more continuing education. I do. (laughs) Girl, I'm like, the, am, the amount of, we call them CAU credits, so continuing education units that I have is like just absurd. Well, they, they keep slamming us with stuff now too, like yeah. online stuff. And I, I mean, it's just, I, I feel you is all I can say. <laughs> so how can people reach you? I've listened to this podcast. I'm like, oh my God, Lindsay Cooper, she's the gal for me. <laughs> How do I get in touch with you? So you can reach me via my website. It's www.mentalwellnesswithlindsay.com. You can go to my social media, which is at Mental Wellness with Lindsay on Instagram. And then my Facebook page, you can contact me through there too. And it'll give you my number, my email. Awesome. Well, I will make sure to provide that, those links and that information in the episode description. So anyone who's listening, if you, if you miss that information or you're driving and I'm hoping that you're not writing and driving at the same time, please don't do that. (laughs) Um, I will go ahead and make sure to post this in the episode uh, description. Also, you can reach out to me as well. And I'm happy to pass along Lindsay's uh, contact information. Lindsay, it has been an absolute delight chatting with you and learning about you and the work that you do. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you so much for the work that you do and for holding space for people. And I'm really hoping that someone listens to this and 
feels less alone and feels like now they have the faculties to go ahead and seek mm -hmm. the help that they need to start to work on their journey to healing. Thank you. That means you're a lot. It's welcome. been so much fun. And oh, I'm so glad. The work that you're doing as well and really getting the message of wellness to so many people. Oh, thank you. I think it's important to continue to just really and let people know that health and wellness takes mm -hmm. on so many different shapes and forms. And my hope for this world in my own weird corner of the universe is to continue to get people to feel better mentally, emotionally, and physically mm -hmm. in, in any capacity, whether that's taking a yoga class, talking to a therapist, or uh, sleeping in or eating a slice of pizza. With that, uh, thank you so much. I am your host, Ariel Miller. This is Leveling Up. This has been Mental Wellness with Lindsay Cooper. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at Ariel underscore Miller, on the Facebook, everywhere in the universe. Thank you so much. Love you, mean it. Mwah. <laughs>